So what we're going to talk about is um, some concepts around customer centricity and this idea that, you know, right now everyone is facing some sort of economic realities, turmoil, etc. And so, you know, I mentioned earlier that historically um, service was seen as this cost center where it would be like, okay, well, where can we cut? We'll cut here, right? And I think companies with the recognition that it is a profit center, you know, need to find ways to be cost conscious without it negatively impacting the employee experience or the customer experience, right? So we're going to kind of talk about some of those elements um, a bit. But before we do that, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your role, and Kaijin. Sure. Hey, um, uh, so I'm Jordan Nigeria, as everyone can see. Um, I, I'll start with the personal side. I'm, I'm married, uh, father of three beautiful kids. Um, that's the grey in my beard, everyone. <laughs> I think we can all relate. To There's that. barely any, so they must no, be well no, behaved. True. They're, not, they're not too bad. <laughs> Um, I've uh, worked, uh, initially started out as a service technician uh, slash engineer, um, and that was with a, an Australian company, very small, um, moved across to a company called Biolab, which some people may recognise in the room, um, a, a very, quite a large Australian company for biotechnology and, and within that space. Um, Biolab was then acquired by Thermo Fisher, um, so there was, I was there approximately 10 years. Um, and now with Kaijin, so started off as the Australian head of field service or Australian New Zealand head of field service. Um, and now uh, I look after service for APEC, so director of service for APEC. Excellent. Okay. And, and been with Kaijin 10 years. This year. Now, is there, would everyone here be familiar with Kaijin? I don't know. Is anyone here familiar okay. with Kaijin? <laughs> This, yeah, so maybe talk just Absolutely. a little bit about what the company does. So we are a, a leader in uh, biotechnology, again, um, molecular testing, uh, research from the life science academia side, clinical testing, um, something that people may be familiar with, quite obviously, is COVID testing. Um, so we have the, the robotics, the instruments, the kits, the consumables. So end-to-end, sample-to-insight, a solution for the customers. Okay. So when we're facing economic turmoil, okay, I think this gut reaction can be to look internally immediately and start looking for, okay, where can we cut, how can we cut, et cetera. Let's talk about how there's another way to do this, which is Kaijin's approach has really been to look externally, right, and to use this as an opportunity to connect with customers more deeply um, in a different way and do a lot more listening. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about this idea of, you know, not resisting that urge to just, you know, um, cut, 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 and to really take that conversation externally first and learn what customers' changing needs yeah. are. I mean, look, and, and I think we're all facing the same challenge. We heard it with the, the roundtable discussion. Um, you know, the, the post-COVID effect of having to do things very differently versus what we traditionally did is obviously still in effect somewhat today. And it's going to continue because it's something that we've now become quite accustomed to and we've adapted to and it's, it, we've changed. The whole world's changed in how we're working. However, um, we do, I think we all do a lot of listening through across the whole service industry. Again, 
from, from your presentation this morning, from the discussion, there is a lot of listening going on as to what the customer wants, needs, wants, would like to see for the future. I think what we've done differently, or what we have done differently, is assemble teams uh, internally. So both actively listening, actively um, uh, surveying customers, asking them what they want. We all do that, that's traditional. What we've done now is to put together teams globally from very different diverse backgrounds that wouldn't typically be on that sort of team mm -hmm. and ask them to create a solution for the customers. Also, in conjunction with that, asking the customers to be part of that pilot, trying it out. The advantage we have here in APEC is that we work with a very uh, a broad range of markets. So we have uh, some that are very, I guess, still emerging and in their infancy, where we have the country we're sitting in today of Australia, where it's quite a mature market. So we have a good stretch between the two to know, okay, this is working there, it could work here. You know, something that we might overlook in Australia by saying, this is what's always worked, or this is what traditionally works in the mature market. We may be able to adopt something, an idea from, from an emerging market that we could implement here today. And that's what we've done in terms of listening to the customer. So it's continuous improvement, and that's, that's again, normal for most industries that we're looking at here today. However, adding that extra component of the internal people saying, okay, this is what we know works, right? But what else would you, would, could we do? Um, again, specifically, Australia has a lot of good best practice that we could adopt in the emerging. However, they have a lot of new technology that they might adopt quite quickly that we would be more, let's analyze it, let's test it, mm -hmm. let's look at it. So that's, that's what's working today for us. Yeah. Now, do you have any examples of... With the customer listening you do mm -hmm. and the way that you've built those teams internally, like new offerings that have come out of that, right? So we saw this, you know, during COVID and there's different industry examples, right? So for instance, there's um, a company that um, we work with in uh, the restaurant industry. Well, in restaurants were closed, right? So, you know, at at a maximum, they were doing some volume of takeout business, but a lot of them were shut down. And so obviously, if your livelihood is servicing that equipment, you know, there can be some panic. But they looked for ways to help introduce, you know, new, maybe even temporary offerings to help keep the equipment, um, you know, they can't just let it sit either, right? So, to, so just really getting creative about as the customer's needs change or as the economic landscape changes... How can you get creative and adapt? So one of, the, um, one of the initiatives we undertook was to look at, um, so not so much implementing each country, but to look at the customizing of our offering to each sort of market, what their conditions asked for, what the customers needed post-COVID or during COVID, post-COVID, and then to come up with a, a customized solution that would fit that country or region. It sounds quite simple, but it's actually quite difficult to do because each country and region has all these different needs and there's, you know, north and south and there's different types of uh, 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 agreements and products that they want. So we've come up with a, a semi-customizable approach to service. The other thing we did as well, actually just to add to the, to the answer before, was to survey our sales team across the region and globally as well and ask them what products are you comfortable selling? What works for you? Again, sounds simple, sounds something that you could do anytime, but post 
events post uh, 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 coming out of that COVID environment and not being able to have a touch point with the customer or a very forced touch point where they didn't really want too many people out on site in their laboratories, specifically for healthcare uh, mm -hmm. uh, providers. So we asked the sales team, hey, what are we doing right? What are you comfortable selling? What would work? And that in conjunction with asking the customers, with the offerings we came up with, we've come up with some, some fairly customizable solutions for customers, right? Mm -hmm. So um, a, a, like a subscription service instead of going for the whole agreement because mm -hmm. of the economic pressure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, various other products that we, we're starting to put together now to be able to offer them some relief from the economic pressure, mm -hmm. but at the same time keeping their operations running as they were before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, if we look at it in terms of opportunity instead of challenge, right, in an economy where customers have their own cost consciousness, um, sometimes that can be a good thing for service, right? I mean, if you um, manufacture equipment, um, assets, you know, organizations are looking to extend the life because they don't want to make new CapEx investments. You know, if you can offer these new um, arrangements as a service, you know, that might not be what you have done or, you know, maybe an ideal, but it's a way to sort of think outside of the box. What I'm curious about though, Jordan, is when I hear customized, I think that being at odds with scalability, right? Absolutely. So how do you strike that balance between sort of customizing offerings to the customer need without it becoming unsustainable for the business. Absolutely. So that that you know the the word customized is quite appealing to the service industry and to customers because they're thinking, great, I get this end-to-end -end solution, I can prolong the life of the instrument, etc., and I'm getting exactly what I, I would like. However, as you said perfectly, it becomes quite challenging for a company to be able to manage the customization per product, firstly, per market per economy, per everything, right? So it becomes a, a quite a challenge when you're presenting that sort of solution because you know that the next step is to customize even further and you'll get mm -hmm. to a point where you literally can't do anything more. Um, and the customer's gonna say, well, you've run out of ideas or this is now the new norm that I can ask for whatever. So we do have a limitation in terms of customizing. So, you know, you have your base agreement and then you can add on and things like that. Um, you know, for future scalability, I mean, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become a world where we're going to have to customize our offering mm -hmm. uh, uh, for the long term. However, there has to be an end point. Right. Otherwise, you're going to end up spending an, a huge amount of money. Well, not just money, but time, effort, employee uh, engagement with the customer just trying to figure out which customer has what, which it's, it's quite a difficult process. Yeah. So I think this is interesting. It, it kind of bleeds into one of, um, another, I guess, another of my favorite conversations. You can tell, like, I happened into this space and now I'm, like, such a nerd about it because I'm like, oh, I love talking about this. Um, but what this makes me think of, to some degree, is not that there isn't any actual customization to what you're offering, so I'm not saying that. But I do think we have this, this whole conversation right now about what is the narrative we're creating with customers? What is the dialogue we're having with customers? And 
How is that maybe different, or does it, how different does it need to be from the dialogue we're having internally? Okay, so what I mean by this is like, customers want to feel that you are customizing your solutions to their needs. But that doesn't necessarily have to mean that every solution is completely customized to their needs. It can mean sort of, you know, there's a menu of standard customizations, et cetera. Like, so there's, there's, there needs to be this acknowledgement that the way we talk about things internally is not always the way we should be talking about them externally. So I have this example. One time I was talking to this gentleman. He was so frustrated and I felt so badly. He's like, well, I just, we've invested in IoT and no one will buy it. And I'm like, because they don't care that you've invested in IoT, they care about what value that provides. But the reality is we struggle a lot with taking the innovation that we're doing as a business and turning that into a value proposition that resonates with what our customers want. So I guess in my mind, I'm thinking like, Part of it is like, yes, I'm sure there is some customization, but there could also be more perceived customization Absolutely. than actual customization. And, and you raise a good point. You know, the, the value proposition is probably the strongest part of that customization. Mm -hmm. If you can't deliver an end-to-end -end solution for what they need, and, and like you said, you know, you invest heavily in technology in terms of their, their accessibility remotely. A lot of customers might just see it and go, that's great, I'm not going to use it. Or, great, well, that's saving you money because yeah. you're not on site, yeah. so I'll pay you less. This is another one of Correct. my favorite conversations. Correct. Yeah, Correct. okay, yeah. Um, what this makes me think of is I had this conversation once with um, a gentleman um, from a company in the US called Spencer Technologies, and he used the analogy of, um, ho hopefully this makes sense, like if you go bowling with children and you can put the bumpers up so like bumper bowling, like the customer just thinks that they can, but really you're keeping them in yeah. the lane you want them to be Absolutely. in, right? Um, hopefully I'm, I'm making sense to everyone, so okay. Um, so uh, you're finding ways to meet this customer demand to have more flexibility, more customization, personalization you know, of, of offerings. If you think about where we're headed, you know, we talked quite a bit this morning about the world of delivering outcomes. Um, what do you kind of think is coming along? I don't think there's going to be an end to the customization. And again, from this morning, from the round table, you know, one of the comments was, um, and I think uh, it, was, it was yourself that made the comment, that the next generation coming forward, the generation following that, they're all now accustomed to having things immediate, they're having it at the mm -hmm. fingertips, they, they're wanting that sort of uh, interaction. As they become consumers, managers, leaders within businesses, they're going to adopt that same idea, no matter the cost, because it's mm -hmm. going to become, it's already become the norm in their world. In ours, it's starting to seep in, it's, it's here, but we're still, I wouldn't say resisting, but we're still being realists about what we can do and what mm -hmm. our capabilities are. But by the time they enter the, 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 the landscape as, as, like I said, either employees or consumers or leaders, that is very much going to become everyday life. Mm -hmm. So we're going to see a lot more of this, in my opinion. 
a lot more. So that mm-hmm. customization, the digitization, it's going to become normal. So if you think about it, you, you, with any sort of piece of technology that you own, you can customize it to be you. But again, it's within those bumpers right. that you have that. However, moving forward, you can see it's becoming a lot more open-ended and you can completely customize what you're doing with that bit of technology, mm-hmm. which I think will, will translate into us as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's also um, interesting, you know, when you think about this conversation of delivering outcomes, like ultimately a customer wants more to be able to rely on you to do something they don't want to need to do. Okay. Like they just want the peace of mind. However, we don't live in an age where anyone's comfortable trusting entirely that you'll deliver that. Meaning they don't want to be hands-on, but they want to at any point be able to look at a dashboard, uh, real-time visibility into the fact that you're doing what you said you could, would do for them, right? So there's this, I think, parallel need of, I want you to do it. I also want to know at any given time how you're doing it, what's going on, what the status is, et cetera. Um, okay. So let's talk a little bit about talent and what you see there. So whether it is um, you know, being agile and adapting to economic challenges and, and being creative, or whether it's you know, hopefully that normalizing and moving toward this next phase of delivering um, outcomes, how do you see the role talent plays in that? And, and how are you kind of navigating that? Absolutely. So I think that there's a, you know, we spoke about it earlier today um, with with uh, uh, talent retention not only being around a career path, not only being around uh, incentive and, and conditions, but more around the diversity, the sustainability, the, all of those factors together. And something that um, I truly respect of, of our company, of Kaijin, is they implemented very strong type of diversity uh, uh, targets 14 months ago, which I, in my opinion, were probably perceived at the beginning to be a checkbox, right? Let's just, I'm just being blunt and this, mm-hmm. is, this is my opinion here. We're all friends here. Absolutely. But it was, it was perceived that it was something that we needed to do as part of a corporate responsibility. Sure. However, come to this day today, we have seen these, these uh, uh, initiatives and um, programs that we're running really be part of our everyday lives. So they've actually, you know, our our executive team has done an extremely good job of, number one, um, correcting gender diversity across leadership. Um, It's extremely, I mean, the company at the moment is probably Mm -hmm. 50-50 gender gender roles on either side. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of leadership where, you know, typically it was governed by service leadership, as a good example, is typically male-dominated because, because they that's progressed through come yeah. through, right? Um, but I would say now our global uh, service team is more or less 60-40, mm-hmm. which is a challenge in itself to get to that number, but mm-hmm. we've found really good talent um, within our marketing side, within our uh, financial side, within our um, even from our global product services uh, uh, side that, that actually run our third level support. Mm-hmm. And we've introduced that. So in terms of retaining and attracting, mm-hmm. the activities that Kaijin have, have put in place some time ago have really paid off today mm-hmm. because we are attracting the right people now. We are attracting you know, a, a stronger um, 
group of people applying for positions because they're seeing a, a pathway. No matter where you're located, where you are, you can have a pathway forward mm -hmm. if you want to move into that space. Otherwise, even if you want to stay within your own space, there's lots of lateral moves you can make mm -hmm. within the organisation. I think one that pops into my head now is post-COVID, everyone was talking about the, um, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, the great resignation mm -hmm. and people moving on and shifting and everything else. Our global head of HR at the time said, no, it's actually the great reimagination mm -hmm. because we want to offer instead of moving along and going to the next place, we want to offer lateral moves for people. So is it, if we can't offer you what you really want in the future in this position, then, you know, we can think about a different pathway. Yeah. And really mixing it up and allowing people to go into, uh, uh, into country, um, taking on different roles, it's actually been a very positive experience. So, yeah. And when it comes to service, we're doing the same thing in the region. We're, yeah. we're changing things up. We're looking at uh, the traditional structure differently. Um, not having, you know, the traditional service manager, supervisor, engineers, it's changed quite a bit in the past sort of, I would say, three years mm -hmm. for us. I love that perspective of um, the great reimagination. Yeah. I think um, I had a conversation recently about how so much of the potential in service is about how you perceive it, you know, because each of these challenges is also an opportunity, but you have to push beyond the realities of the problem. And that's not to say they are not real problems, but you have to get over perceiving them only that way to be able to see that opportunity that lies beyond there, right? I love that. Danielle, I'm assuming it's uncommon for a company to start DEI as a checkbox exercise and then realize, oh, wow, this is actually really benefiting us. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And yeah, just on that, just just quickly, yeah, you know, and, and again, not to spruik our our internal organisation, but all credit. I, I, in my opinion, goes to our CEO for really driving all of, I mean, you've got that whole sphere of, of diversity and there's a lot of tags in there, but he's really driving that forward and that's the next phase for us because, again, traditionally male-dominated, traditionally, you know, mm -hmm. very structured sort of uh, um, uh, org charts that you would see and think this is the, you know, this is how we're going to move forward. But all of that has changed, and it's actually been an extremely positive shift mm -hmm. for the company. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So I hope you don't mind me sharing how That's we fine. met. Okay. So um, Jordan and I met a few years ago, um, and I think I reached out to you because you had attended Field Service Asia. Yes. And I wasn't there myself, but I was looking through the folks that spoke at the event, and I reached out and said, hi, Jordan, I have this podcast. I'd love to have you on, et cetera. So... Anytime, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, my goal is to be the voice of the industry. So that means I don't have an editorial calendar. I don't believe in them. I think there is not much value in my content if I'm driving an agenda. So my goal is always just to connect to people in the industry, 
and um, chat with them to understand what it is that they are really struggling with, learning from, passionate about, and then help them frame that into a conversation that will help others. That's my job. So we set up this sort of introductory chat, very informal, you know, and here he is, this tough guy from Australia. And I'm like, <laughs> hey, Jordan, so, you know, here's what the podcast is, blah, blah, blah. So if you were to come on, like, do you have in mind um, what you might want to talk about? And he was like, mental health. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love this, right? Because you don't often hear that from a man um, or in field service. I mean, the, you know, uh, a lot of this stuff. So I want to talk about this a bit because at that time we were in the midst of COVID. And so there was a lot of things you were facing as a leader with very real struggles that your teams were having. But I mean, in reality, we have barely navigated out of the COVID climate into all of these other crises, right? So as human beings, um, I think most of us have faced some really, really tough points over the last few years. Um, and I think we're foolish as leaders to not acknowledge that our employees are human and have had the same. Um, so I just wanted to kind of bring this into the conversation because I think when we talk about company culture, creating a, a psychological safety among our workforce, um, this vulnerability, this openness, mental health, and making sure our people know that we care about that aspect as well is very important. So can you just maybe share a little bit about you know, how you saw the gap in that not really being something that was you know, being addressed or supported um, and some of the ways that you put focus yep. on that? I think um, there's two sides to that. So I'll, I'll share my side and then what the company actually did um, uh, post or during and post COVID and, and what we've set up for the future. Um, you know, recognition of what was going on was, was truly that we were all going through the same thing, right? We, we all faced the same challenges, the same frustrations. I think us in Melbourne probably had a little bit worse than other people. Anyway, <laughs> being the most locked down city, just, to, just slightly. But, <laughs> but um, I think that highlighted to me, you know, it was conversations we were having with uh, 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 people such as Corrado, um, leading the service team here in Australia, other, uh, other uh, uh, staff in the region leading service teams, they were still in the field. Mm -hmm. So specifically for service, yes, everyone was struggling mm -hmm. on the outside. The service engineers were still expected to get in their cars, to get, um, if I think of India, to jump on a train um, where they could cross borders, where there was very strict control you know, it all impacted the, the teams dramatically. They, they, you know, they would be exhausted at the end of the day, not physically, because they've only gone out for one job because there wasn't much going on, but mentally they were thinking, you know, here's another checkpoint. Here's another thing where I'm going to get asked to produce papers. So all of that and on top, potentially becoming sick because you're in that environment where there, there are COVID cases right next to you. And who do you have at home? That Correct. you need to protect. And you've got your family mm -hmm. at home, you've got your children. You know, the impact on the kids who were, who were locked in as well with it, you know, not being able to go too far, etc. Mm -hmm. So from that, you know, we started having different discussions, started thinking differently about how we deal with the teams, what we can do for them. Are there little things we can change every day to make life easier for them? These are small changes, but for them, they were, they were 
enormous. They were, you know, things like reaching out. I mean, Corrado, probably one of the, the, the better ones who's also quite passionate about mental health, honestly. Um, and I'm not talking him up because he's my colleague, but it's-, it's I more, don't mind. No, he's, um, he's very passionate about it. So again, you know, staying in constant contact with them, asking if they're okay. Do you need a day? Do you need something else? Can we provide something for your family to be able to, you know, be a bit more comfortable during this time? So we did all of that in the region. And it actually ended up that we retained, I think we retained everyone. I think it was like one or two that moved on to other companies though. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it was, it was a, a natural progression, but we did retain the entire team. The second part of this is though, what's come during and post COVID is that Kaijin have set up a lot of um, global user group, or not user groups, global collective groups. Uh, there's one called, and we put a Kaya tag in front of everything. So there's Kaya Thrive, um, Kaya Diversity. So there's ones that cover, um, you know, general parenting throughout the pandemic, general mm -hmm. parenting post. And now, you know, just being a parent, being able to juggle um, potential economic struggles that are happening for everyone um, and country. And then, you know, there's a lot of talks that happen, uh, live face-to-face -face discussions. And from those groups, we then come up with initiatives that roll out into the company. So the most positive part for me is that the senior leadership or our executive, executive council are actually a part of all of these groups. So they're mm -hmm. sponsoring these groups. Mm -hmm. I am part of the Kai Thrive group. Um, as, as a global uh, um, leader in there. And again, things that we talk about, the initiatives that come out of it, and it's all stuff that we are all contributing to. So these aren't topics that we're going, okay, they're on this list, we need to address them, mm -hmm. there's economic pressure. There's, these are topics that are coming up in discussion and if they are considered to be quite critical, then we move forward. Mm -hmm. So I think, there's a couple things I want to say. So going back to the podcast conversation we had, you know, we talked about some of the things you were doing at that time. And, um, you know, just to maybe paraphrase a couple points, I think it really, there was no magic bullet to making it a focus in the business. It was really about treating every conversation as a human conversation and starting with how are you are you okay? Looking, sharing vulnerably your own status so that people know it's okay to also share. So it's, you know, a lot of times there's these, these big um, issues and, and if you're not a mental health expert, you know, it can seem daunting, like, well, how do we accommodate for that, right? Um, but when we're dealing with people, it's really intent is so important because I think if you come from a place of genuine intent and people feel that, that in and of itself helps tremendously, you know, but just normalizing the conversation um, is something I think you said, you know, you can't just have a retreat once a year that's like a mental health guest that's speaker right. or whatever. It needs to be part of the day to day, yeah. you know, and I think that's really important. Um, you know, I also think when we talk about how this topic ties in with the overall talent conversation, you know, a lot of times we say like people are, are our most important asset, but they're not an asset, they're people. And right. people don't want to be perceived or treated as an asset, they right. wanna be treated as human beings. So keeping that perspective and making sure you're connecting on a human level, you're not treating people as a line item on your, right. um, you know, your, your balance sheet is also important. Um, I think as well, 
there's, there's an aspect to when you've got a team of leaders under you or, or reporting to you, under you, sorry, is it a bad term to use, reporting to you, um, I think you need to remind them to stay grounded because mm -hmm. quite often a younger, and this isn't a generalisation, but a younger leader who has progressed quite quickly can sometimes perceive their team as like, okay, I'm in charge now, this is what I'm going to say, this is how it goes. And then they get so caught up in the everyday mm -hmm. and the challenges we're facing now with, you know, um, uh, expenditure pressures at a high level, um, particularly we don't want to pass that down to anyone, mm -hmm. so we deal with it, you know, within our sphere. However, that person gets caught up in that pressure and then forgets the, the, the human side of reporting. Right. So this is where it comes back to having to coach them to remind them to stay grounded. Mm -hmm. You know, it, I was in those shoes one day uh, uh, some time ago. If you don't stay grounded, that team quite quickly disrespects you because you're, you're prompting the disrespect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They don't, they don't respect you as a leader. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's a really good point. You know, with the economic pressures that are a reality right now, it can be really easy to unintentionally pass that burden on to the front line. But at the end of the day, you know, that isn't their responsibility, you know? And so making sure that you um, don't, you know, negatively impact the morale, um, you know, how they feel about their roles, et cetera, just because, you know, the organization itself has these, these pressures. Um, I think it's a really important part of the discussion. So I mentioned earlier um, this idea going back to the topic of just, you know, navigating the need to be cost conscious without sacrificing employee experience or customer experience. What opportunities do you see to better leverage or, you know, um, expand leverage of technology to sort of work smarter instead of harder and to kind of look for ways to help? Yeah. I think, I think we heard it this morning um, uh, that the, you know, the connectivity, the remote connectivity into, the, into the, uh, the instruments, which is something that we're now investing in quite heavily. So any new instruments will come out with some sort of connectivity and a, a, a pre-prompt to us that there is something wrong. However, the other side is that we are now looking at solutions that will enable us to be able to repair or offer some sort of fix post sending someone out. Mm -hmm. So that impacts both, not just the employee, but also, sorry, not just the cost saving to the company, but also the employee, because there's less stress on them to be able to go out, or to have to go out and repair this instrument physically versus having to do, uh, being able to do a, some sort of a, a remote repair or mm -hmm. it can be done elsewhere. And that sort of, you know, again, we heard at the round table that the, the, the remote connection is something that we're all trying to do. Is it what our customers want today? Not everyone. I think within our space, they are asking for it more and more because mm -hmm. they want less interaction physically. Yeah. Um, and they want operations to be as smooth as possible. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, I mean, this is going to be, this is going to be the next step. Mm -hmm. within, within the space we work in, you know, the biotechnology side, the healthcare side, this is going to be that next level. The, to be cost conscious as well, it can be a heavy investment at the beginning, but if you've got everyone aligned, then, you know, if you see an outcome that's going to be positive, and again, get that feedback from the market, get the feedback from internal, get the feedback from our engineers as well mm -hmm. as to where that should go, then that's, that's where we'll head. Yeah, I agree. There's a ton of potential in remote. 
Um, and I think that it goes back, it's, a, it's a, maybe the best example right now of how the value proposition to us as an organization and the value proposition to our customers are two very different things and they have to be articulated differently. Like if you can speak about it, it's not about saving truck rolls to them, right? Because right. all that translates into is let's pay you less. Right. It's about faster time to resolution, right? So it's, it's making sure the narrative matches the yeah. appropriate party. And I think what you said before about being more customer centric, that's something that in my opinion was lost somewhat during COVID. Um, not because we weren't still customer centric. We still wanted to keep them online. We'd wanted the, the lowest downtime possible. Mm -hmm. However, we also tried to do it in a way where it was the most efficient way and we had mm -hmm. to be there quickly and in and out. You know, it was, it was very rushed at yeah. one point. Then we got used to the idea of having to do it. Or we, by used to it, we, 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 <laughs> we had to do it. We adjusted. Mm -hmm. Now that we've come back, um, I feel as though, and not just within the service or you know service space, but other companies that we see have taken that on board and kept it. But the customer centricity isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. It's more of a transactional. The relationship isn't there because they're not on site as often. Yeah. So changing the scope of an engineer um, to be more than just the person who turns up and fixes it, mm -hmm. they already have a relationship. But you can improve on that as well, giving them different skills. Yeah. Again, keeping it customer centric. So again, you know, and then if you think about a cost in the long run mm -hmm. for a company, I mean, if that engineer is selling that second, third, fourth instrument, fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. No reductions. I'm just saying. Yes. <laughs> no, a, for sure. Um, all right. Any final thoughts or or comments for? No, I think. Folks look, here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's, for I appreciate it. Um, and thank you for everyone for turning up and, and offering valuable uh, feedback as well and having good conversations. But in terms of what we've just discussed, I mean, um, if, if we don't, okay, so on the mental health side, if mm -hmm. we don't stay on top of it, it's going to just consume us. You're going to lose talent. You're not going to be able to retain the right people. If you don't structure your organization to offer engineers and others a pathway you know, to where they want to go, it mm -hmm. doesn't have to be specifically up, sideways, wherever, mm -hmm. just offer them something that is a bit more tailored to them and feels like you're listening, then I think you know, overall the customer centricity, the savings and everything else will cover themselves because you're, you're looking after your people. Okay, thank, thank you. you.